The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, is there such a thing as non-pathogenic parasites? All right, that's crazy talk. It is crazy talk. Or it's is a it? oxymoronic. Or is it? It's a paradox. Or is it? Paradox of moronic. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. You know, every day I show up and have a front row seat to the genius that is Michael Chapman. I don't know about Making genius. up words on the fly, paradoxomoronic. I, that one just fell into my lap. I got lucky on that one. I'm not going to take full credit, but thank you. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Patty Devers? I'm living my best life. I'm doing great today. Hey, crushing hey. it. Of course. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, so this is a podcast. It's called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Whoa. Genova Diagnostics was what Yikes. I was trying to say there. Right. Until uh, I hit that speed bump on the way out of town. And uh, it's how, where we talk about things like specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, precision, functional medicine, all that stuff. And if you like speed bumps and Michael making up terms, perhaps you can go to iTunes or Spotify, perhaps follow this quirky little show, Mm. rate, review, share it with your friends, leave us a written review, you know, stuff like that. All the stuff. It's good to it's good to hear from you. We like the feedback. Please send more feedback. And uh, if you want to do the disclaimer, look, you can be on this show. All you have to do, we can write it down. We can put uh-huh. it on Instagram. We can say, well, I have to do contents of the lab report meant for educational purposes only, not meant to be misconstrued. That's that's a hard one there, misconstrued. It's, t- it's a, a tough one. Medical diagnosis or treatment advice. You can say that in your voice and put it on, and you can send it to us. Put it on your phone. Email uh-huh. it podcast right. at gdx.net. That'd be awesome. Isn't that awesome? Don't you think that'd be awesome? It's super awesome. I'm, I'm excited about that. I read all of the email. I love it very much. But if you're a consumer out there and you're interested in accessing our testing directly, you can head over to connect.gdx.net. There you can order testing yourself as a consumer, and then we can connect you with a Genova client to help guide your health care. Clever. Mm. Which one of us is a bigger consumer? Oh. Between me and you. Oh, definitely you. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I assume you're mostly talking about candy. <laughs> You're a consumer of all things. Knowledge, media, <laughs> candy. <laughs> all right, Patty, what are we talking about? Well You wanted to talk about parasites. You were talking Everyone's about everyone's favorite topic. Paradoxical moronic parasites. Mm. Now, I know what you're thinking out there. How many times can we talk about parasites in the show? I'll tell you. We've only talked about it twice. And that was three years ago. So we're gonna revisit parasites, but we're going to give a different slant on it and talk about some of them that actually might not be pathogenic. I think it's okay that we redo a topic after three years. Yeah. Don't you think so? I do. Especially since that was one of our first episodes. And let's face it, they weren't great back then. I can't even listen to them. They're not great now. (laughs) But think about how bad they were back then. But that being said, things change, right? Literature evolves. It's worth revisiting many things. And let's face it, a lot of people aren't going back all the way to the beginning and listening to the show. Not No one except, I think, probably that leader of Congo, who's passed away in 1997. <laughs> Mobuto? Yes. Yeah. But that being said, even if you heard the episode way back then, you likely forgot some stuff. And we're going to refresh, and we're going to give you a new slant on an old topic. Sounds great. Yeah. Where do you want to start, Patty? Well, I think one place to start is that there appears to be this feeling out in the ether that 
parasite. Everyone has parasites. Parasites are all over the place. If you didn't have a parasite on your stool test, we're clearly missing it. So the oh, question yeah. is, like, you are, guys don't know what you're you doing because we all find got them. the parasites. Everyone's got them. So the question is, how prevalent are parasites, and how does a person get a parasite, Michael? All right. Uh, what well, putting me on the spot here? Like, did you want me to just talk in general? Or yeah, you want I don't me to need you... stats. I don't okay. need stats. Okay, because seventy percent of statistics are made up on the spot anyway. <laughs> so, um, so bottom line is they're they're depends on where you live, right? So True. in the Western world, they're actually quite uncommon. Um, you know, I would say overall, what we found in some of our internal data, not to make up statistics on the spot, but <laughs> we. We found that it was way less than 5%. So it's super duper uncommon. Uh, Common ways that you can actually get them, including mostly like a lot of times eating raw foods, Mm -hmm. uh, not not having properly cooked foods basically is is a big exposure window. Uh, You can also get them through other avenues like contaminated water or like poor personal hygiene. Those are probably the most common ways to, to actually end up with a parasite in the mm-hmm. western world they're a lot more common in undeveloped or, or developing countries so you know th- i think that's a good high level view of it and it, it does um it does c- counter some of the common thought out there in the the functional integrative naturopathic communities about how prevalent these are and it's a it's a hard thing to talk about because the when we have alignment with our overall epidemiology of positives mm-hmm. with just about every piece of research as well as um, the, the governing bodies around prevalence in the Western world, you know, a natural inclination, especially for alternative practitioners to, is to be like, well, you're missing them. Right. right, right. But um, that's, that's not always the case. Right guys. Mm-hmm. And you know, we debate this all the time with our head of microbiology at, at the lab, Jim Kelton, and he's been on the show in the past and yeah. he literally lives, breathes, eats everything microbiology microbiology mm. everything about he micro eat microbiology well, I don't, i'm sure he does i mean there's bacteria everywhere man fair enough you know but he even agrees with that like you know it's not nearly as pre- prevalent as people thought and it reminds me when we asked jim kelton if he eats sushi do you remember this Michael? oh right <laughs> his famous quote we developed fire back in the stone ages for a reason and one of them was to cook fish Spoken like a true microbiologist. You're not going to scare me away from sushi. <laughs> That's right. uh, plus, I've got to give my immune system some practice here and again. You fair. know what I mean? It's fair. But as far as, you know, giving your immune system some practice, Michael Chapman, I think you need to pump the brakes here because oh, yeah. I think you've taken it a little too far. It's gone. <laughs> We're tired. Your immunity is gone. We're tired. <laughs> but I think to start, let's just define what a parasite is it's an organism that benefits by deriving nutrients from its host at that host's expense. And there are various types of parasites. Okay, I do. I want to spend a second on this definition because it goes back to the paradoxymoronic aspect All of right. a non-pathogenic parasite. Because in that definition of parasite, does it not say at the expense of the host? It does. You're, you're right. And some of them will take some of the nutrients in your GI tract, but maybe not at causing symptoms and causing illness. Then that's not at, a, at its expense, is it? It's consuming excess. Well, wait, are you saying that you believe there's no such thing as a non-pathogenic parasite? I just think based on the definition of parasite, something's non-pathogenic. It's describing if it's deriving some sort of mutual benefit or just deriving benefit, that's either commensal or mutualism. That's not symbiosis. Yeah, well, it's mutualism is where both organisms are benefiting. Commensal to a certain extent can be organisms where one benefits and has no impact on the other. Uh, But if it's a parasite one is benefiting and one is 
not benefiting. One is as having nutrients stolen. It's at its expense. So you right. can't have a non-pathogenic parasite. If you have another take on that out there in uh, podcast land, feel free to email podcastgdx.net at me and uh, we'll go toe-to-toe. Wow. Okay, well, let's put this train back on rails and talk about the three main classes of parasites. Yeah, and this is kind of interesting um, because we'll get to it, but there's a class of parasites called ectoparasites, which are not really what we think of with parasites, which is cool. I guess I'll start there since I brought it up. <laughs> so ectoparasites are ones, are organisms that live outside that are that are using oftentimes your blood. So you think of like mosquitoes, uh-huh. right? That's an ectoparasite. Ticks, fleas, lice, mites, scabies, all the horrible things Gross. in insect nature and, and, and whatnot. Uh, but it can also be plants. There's there's parasitic plants and things like that that will actually steal uh, nutrients or absorption or real estate from other plants. So uh, that's another form of ectoparasite, I would presume. So that's one group. There's helminths, which are our lovely worms, right? Our flukes, our tapeworms, roundworms, whipworms, hookworms, pinworms, all those worms. These those are, are not subtle. Those these, are helminths, yeah. These, these are things you can actually see with your eye. I mean, like if you had x-ray vision, you could see into someone's GI tract or something. I mean, you can't really see them unless think of a stool worm, sample. We can worms, see them, maybe. Or if you, you know, you can see in your own stool sometimes these large worms. I mean, a tapeworm sometimes. is not subtle. But yeah, conversely to things that you can see macroscopically, uh, then the last group is protozoa, which are single-celled organisms. And by single-celled, also think you know yeast and bacteria are single-celled as well. Uh, so they're tiny. These are microscopic, and those include the amoebas, mm-hmm. flagellates, sporozoans, ciliates. And those are just fun to say, right? I mean, <laughs> and these protozoan, when they when they call, cause infection, are things like cryptosporidium, yeah. amebiasis, babesiosis, giardiasis, blastocystis. So those are some examples of protozoan parasites. So then you might ask your question, your the question, well, how how do I find these? How do we detect them? How do I find these? How do we right. detect these? <laughs> and so sometimes they're visible, like we said, they can be macroscopic. You can actually see them in things like your stool or on, on your skin. You can see a tick Delightful. on your skin. <laughs> Some of them become bloodborne, so you need a blood smear to see them. But as it relates to Genova Diagnostics, we mainly talk about them in the stool. And we can detect parasites in the stool with several methodologies. We use the microscope, the good old-fashioned microscope, microscopy for ova and parasites. And we also have specific targets for PCR. And, you know, the the crazy thing about protozoa, to your point, Michael, is that they're so small, they're microscopic, sometimes they can be missed. And why are they missed? Number one, they're small. But number two... Sometimes they just intermittently shed into the stool. So that's why when we say, if you are suspicious of a parasite in your patient and you're going to do a GIFX stool sample, we recommend a three-day sample. That way, if there is intermittent shedding of these protozoan, we can detect them. And I will say, if you're a clinician out there and you're looking to see if your patient has some type of parasite, it all comes down to the lab, right? And I will say, our microbiology department is awesome. The amount of training that it takes to be a microscopist at Genova Diagnostics would shock you. And these people have years and years and years and years of experience that, you know, I'm in awe. I'm amazed by how good these people are. Yeah. And and I think it's one of the ways to demonstrate that is because we've done so many split samples, not only with other labs, but also with other government entities and things like that, where there's been times where they've actually thought that we got it wrong in the micro department. Uh, and then we said, no, no, check it again. And nope, they're nope, like, nope, oh, nope, 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 nope. oh, you're right. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's actually that's true. happened many times. And that's happened from government agencies. That's happened from other labs. Um, and it's because we take very seriously the training around on our micro team. And so when other 
people, clinicians are thinking that we are out there missing things that other labs are finding or whatnot. Nope. Um, I'm super dubious every single time because most of the time we'll see something like a split or, or something of that nature and, and we have the knowledge to actually identify what it is that we're looking at uh, as compared to maybe somebody who isn't as well trained or maybe is more likely to try to find something just inherently, not that they're doing something intentionally wrong, but like maybe they're just misreading uh, a particular parasite because they've been in the parasite game for so long. But that brings up this question, Michael, because we get this a lot and poor Jim Kelton gets this a lot. But I saw a worm in my stool and your lab missed it. Yeah. What do you say to that? Uh, well, I mean, I think a lot of times the most common example of that is when somebody will send in what they think was a worm in their stool and what's called like a direct uh, parasitology. Meaning they won't send it with their stool. They'll send it in a separate vial, maybe preserved in alcohol or something like that. And almost every time we identify it as a mucus casing, undigested food fragment, um, there's lots of things at the end of the day that can look like a worm that are confusing and mislead people into thinking that they see a worm in their stool. Okay, so we did a good refresher on parasites and detection and blah, blah, blah definitions. But we're going to introduce this concept that I don't think it's talked about enough, and it's non-pathogenic parasites. And I know what you're going to say, Michael. Yeah, you could hear my I, eyes rolling in the back of thinking, my head. I see it. But that being said, it's more the concept that although these are parasites and they're in your GI tract, they are never associated with an illness and do not need to be treated. And there are specific protozoan that we think of that when they're on your stool test, although it is a parasite, these are non-pathogenic. And it's things like Chylomastix mesnilii, Endolomax nana, Entamoeba coli, Entamoeba dispar, Entamoeba hartmani, Entamoeba polecki, Iotamoeba buschelli. So there's a lot of them, and they would never cause illness. They are non-invasive and don't need to be treated. Now, then you're like, okay, well, what do we do about this? Why do we care? So your distinction here on the non-pathogenic parasite is that because it doesn't cause overt disease... That non-pathogenic. That's the word. Non-patho no, so you're saying non -pathogenic. that pathology equals symptomology. Is the, that is that? I'm just trying to understand, and well, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm just trying to understand where you're drawing the line, which is, I think it's here, right? You're saying pathos means illness. The definition of pathogenic is that it causes disease. And then furthermore, the definition of disease is a disorder or structure function in a human that has a known cause and a distinctive group of symptoms, signs, or anatomical changes. So, again, these Look, are parasites that are non-pathogenic. I get it. I get what I get. Your point. Uh, I feel like this is not the time or place to push back. Although, if I were to push back, I would say, isn't this functional medicine where we're actually trying to understand dysfunction at the cellular level before it manifests into mm -hmm. symptoms and we disease? Are. So, so true. Um, I think that there's argument for that to be part of the idea around what a parasite is and isn't and what pathology is and isn't. But that's philosophical, so let's leave it, right? Because that freaks people out. Well, I don't think it's that it's freaking people out. I don't want you to give people this misconception that, oh, there's a potential on a microscopic cellular level that it could be the beginning of something and then mm. people go in guns a-blazing trying to kill these things when yeah. every single governing body in the world is saying, don't treat them. Yeah. No, I get it. And I, I wouldn't recommend that, right? I'm... I'm I'm a naturopath, so I'm not trying to go in there guns a-blazing, trying yeah. to alter microbiomes. In fact, right. if anything, I think a lot of these are probably self-limiting at the end of the day. So right. it's an uh, idea around, like you said, exposure. Where was the exposure? Is it uh, alluding to some other type of parasite? 
parasite that I could be infected with? You know, those sort of questions. So. Sure, sure. So because they're on your stool test, you're not going to treat them. But what it is is a really good sign and signal that perhaps there was a contamination somewhere. So you really need to look at your hygiene, your food sources, your water sources, because you're exposed to this. It's not making you sick, but there's clearly an exposure here. And if you are sick and symptomatic with this on your stool test, look elsewhere. Look at your hygiene, people. <laughs> You're gross out there. <laughs> Take a shower once in a while. <laughs> well, I think it's also easier to understand, too, like, given the fact that a lot of these are single-celled organisms. Like the protozoas, you know, it's like bacteria. Like they're not, well, they're not all going to be causing massive amounts of damage like flukes are going to. You know what I right. mean? Right, <laughs> right, right. Though that was kind of rude telling everyone to shower. That's some tough love from Michael Chapman right there. But while we're talking about it, there are some non-pathogenic parasites like we just outlined. And the other concept is that some are what we call potentially pathogenic, meaning... No oh boy. I know, we're parsing this out, but it's important. So those non-pathogenic parasites we talked about, if they're on your stool test and you're sick, go looking elsewhere. There are some that will show up on your stool test that we call potentially pathogenic, meaning if you have something grow out on your stool test, not really grow out, show up. Mm -hmm. on your stool test under the microscope. Things like blastocystis or dientamoeba fragilis. These are called potentially pathogenic, meaning some people are symptomatic, some people are not. Personalization, right? And it can it can be situational as well. Mm -hmm. Could be like at that particular time, somebody's reacting to it and causing symptoms, but at another time, maybe they're not. Uh, a classic example of this is blastocystis. Mm -hmm. And blastocystis is was thought to be pathogenic, then it's thought to be commensal, pathogenic, commensal, it's like butter. Like, is it good for you? Is it bad for you? Mm -hmm. What do we do with this this organism called blastocystis? And to the point where we even, uh, we did subtyping for a bit on our GIFX stool test to try and gather some more data around, are there different subtypes that are more pathogenic? Um, and actually what we, we, we found, we did a white paper on it, uh, was that we couldn't find any compelling evidence across the thousands and thousands of test results that we analyzed, uh, demonstrating that there was a particular subtype that had an association with more pathology. So again, it could be personalized medicine is the approach. It, it could be that a, a certain given patient in front of you uh, is going to be symptomatic to a blasto and another may not. Correct. Similarly with dientamoeba, though, you know, with blasto, I think some people think it's beneficial. Some people never treat it. You know, some people treat it if they're symptomatic. Dientamoeba, we also call a potential pathogen, though I think there's a little bit more solidarity in treating it because I think it more often causes symptoms. But there are some people who are asymptomat asymptomatic with dientamoeba as well. So I think when it comes down to these potentially pathogenic parasites, to Michael's point, personalized approach. Everybody's different. I'm not. Actually, you're the most different person I've ever met. Incredibly unique, Michael. I appreciate that, although I think the air quotes was a bit excessive, Patty. Um, <laughs> what else were we going to talk about today around this, this subject? Well, I think we've hit all the big talking points. You know, again, we're talking non-pathogenic and potentially pathogenic. But remember, there are some really pathogenic bad guys out there. Oh, Those are man. remarkably different. Make no mistake. But if you do it, do the GI effects and we're telling you it's a pathogen, treat it. If it's non-pathogenic, don't treat it. Now, I think there is one last thing we need to do before we end this episode yeah that's right let me just find what what what's happening i'm trying to find the what are this you doing? is why we don't give travis vacation time there it is there it is
Let me just say, we we haven't heard that one in quite some time, and I'm glad because it's, it's one kind of the originals. It's, it's kind of mellow. It kind of brought me down. I'll tell you that the peacock saved it for me. So thanks for that. You're welcome. Constantly reinventing over here. What do you got for me with the question of the well, day? Well, the question of the day is an oldie but a goodie, and in fact, a frequently asked question to our entire medical affairs team no, on the phone. Fact. It's a fact. It's a fact. All right. The entire team. We hear this all the time on the phone talking to clinicians and anyone who does the GI effects knows that when a pathogen grows out or a potentially pathogenic bacteria we offer sensitivities to pharmaceuticals and botanical agents in case you were wanting to target that now the question always comes back to us why don't we provide sensitivities for parasite treatment yeah this is great this kind of I was going to point this out earlier too because even you accidentally fell into this trap earlier that it's going to make fun of you for which was saying grow right. grow it out in culture or I something. caught it though you, grow, you just totally caught it yeah absolutely yeah. kudos yeah. Um, but it, it goes back to we're so used to thinking about things under the microscope with respect in terms of bacteria and yeast right those things grow in culture which means put them on those little petri dishes that we're all used to kind of thinking about from science class and put them in an incubator and they grow. That's not what happens with parasites. They don't do that. I mean, you could theoretically facilitate a colony's growth, you know, in certain conditions, but like if you're capturing it from a stool test and then shipping it to us, those things are not surviving that process. You know, especially if you're talking about a worm or something of that nature. A lot of times what we're finding is not even the organism itself. We're finding the eggs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or whatever constitutes an egg in that organism's life cycle to be perfectly scientific. <laughs> and you can't run a sensitivity on an egg because it's got a hard outer casing and things like that. It's not technically living. How are you going to know if it's alive or dead? Right? So that doesn't work. Um, and for the actual organisms themselves, they are not living. They're dead. By the time dead on we have them uh, under microscopes, we can't run any tests on them, right? <laughs> They're dead. You can't, you can't do an experiment on something that's sure. dead, especially be like, hey, do you like this oregano oil? Oops, you're already dead. Doesn't matter. So that's why we can't do a, a sensitivity on a parasite. Right. But there are tons of resources out there if you do want to treat any type of parasite. Of course, you're not going to treat the non-pathogenic ones, but if you have a potentially pathogenic or a pathogenic parasite, you know, you go to PubMed, you go to Google Scholar, you go to the CDC. There's really great information out there on various ways to treat parasites. Go to the textbook of natural medicine. Yeah, we're going to have to send you there. Medical herbalism. Mm-hmm. Tom Williams' book. Mm-hmm. One, one thing to note, too, though, because uh, a lot of people will do these sort of parasite cleanses and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of the anti-parasitic herbal treatments are fairly harsh. Um, it's so funny that you just brought that up mm. because Christine and I were just talking downstairs in our department about the TikTok craze. You guys the, are always talking about TikTok. We're always talking about TikTok crazes. And there's a parasite cleanse TikTok phase no, happening boy. right now. And it's dangerous. No, actually, some of these... Uh, I wouldn't call them toxic, but they have toxic upper limits to a lot of these herbs that are used for parasite cleanses. Um, and usually they combine some of those herbs with basically just herbs that cause diarrhea at the end of the day, yeah, to be honest with yeah. you. And it's like, oh, look, I'm flushing all this out. It's like, yeah, because you're just taking an herb that's giving you diarrhea. And you're flushing out your entire microbiome as well, which is no bueno. Yeah. And, and again, th- those uh, if we're talking about um, herbs, you know, I think some of the antiparasitics tend to be a little bit more on the harsher side than a lot of our other herbs, which are very safe. Awesome. Well, I think we did it. 
I think we did it. And to your point, as we just started this episode, it's okay to revisit old topics. We have new slants on old topics, and we're going to continue to follow literature and see how things evolve, and we, we can revisit some old topics. So it's science always works. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Always good. Always evolving. Till it's not. <laughs> like the dinosaurs. Right. Next time on The Lab Report, Dr. Elizabeth Raskin. Colorectal surgeon, genius, and awesome We're going to do it this time. Person. Had to, had She's to, our friend. Had to, had to skip it, but we're, we're going to do it. Next time. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. I mean, when is Travis getting back? I don't know. It but seems like he's been gone forever. And you know, you don't even realize he's gone until someone like you messes up the soundboard and now you're like, where's Travis? Well, I, and, and Travis doesn't realize that he doesn't actually have any PTO. Like he's not, <laughs> he's not even on the Poor payroll. Travis. <laughs> like we haven't talked to anyone about him taking vacation time. And so uh, I hope he doesn't think he's getting paid for this. What about his 401k? 401k. <laughs> I don't think you realize I've just been Venmoing him money periodically. Oh my God. Who's paying his health insurance? The health insurance? <laughs> How's he going to pay his taxes? He doesn't have a W-2. <laughs> I mean, last month I paid him in Chick-fil-A my rewards points. How? Did you, like, you just bought him a bunch of nuggets? No, I mean? no, I, you can just transfer them. <laughs> it's like Bitcoin mm. for Chick-fil-A. Hmm.